Hello, everybody. Welcome to the call up. My name is Daniel Holloway, and today we have special guest, my buddy for a long time. We've known each other forever. Um, it, it feels like um, I think we've both seen each other go through different stages of our career in cycling and our place and how we fit and all that. Um, but this is none other other than Ryan DeWalt. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're down here for NCL Denver. Yeah, exactly. So. It's, uh, it's a big event for us, and I'm actually going to be racing with the team, so it's uh, a lot of stress on me at 44 years old. Are you the oldest guy in the field? Uh, There's a pretty good chance. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, yeah, we've just known each other for you know, a long time. I, you were a junior. Um, and how, where were you, how old were you? I'm probably 10 years on you. Okay, I'm 36. I was born in 79. Okay, yeah, so eight years. 44, so yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I just, uh, I remember watching you come through the ranks. Yeah. You know, like, and then we like, then I'm seeing you in the race, and then next thing you know, we're buddies, and <laughs> then we're shit-talking and having a good time. Yeah. So, I mean, like, my big, one of my biggest memories is, like, Ride Aid, um, Univest, I think. I was there when I was, like, 18 with uh, the crew from Lombardi. And you being an East Coast guy and Rite Aid being East Coast, I think that was kind of my first memory of you. We could have raced, <laughs> you right. know, uh, whether that had been super weak um, from that early era um, or something like that. But what, how, so if I was 18, you were 26 racing for Rite Aid. Bill Ellison was on that team? Yeah, I think 2007, maybe. And so what was it like? Now that you're 44 racing with young guys, you were young and racing with Bill Ellison, who has got to be eight, 10 years older than you now. Exactly. <laughs> so what was that like being in your 20s, racing these big races on like a mid-tier pro team of that era and a guy like Bill? Well, you know, I, I think about Bill a lot and just like I remember times when we would all go out after the race and Bill's like, now I'm just going to like lay low. Now I'm the <laughs> dude just like recovering and laying low. Like it's like, you know, I, I do think a lot about Bill and uh, it's always good to catch up with him. So it's, it, 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 yeah, I am the older guy. I'm trying to lead by example, keep everybody calm, you know, let them know what, what not to do. It's really hard to give advice, tell everybody what to do, you know what I mean? It's more of uh, a mentorship role of just lead by example and that's, that's what I'm trying my hardest to do. I'll lead by example with my riders and the, and also with the diabetic community, you know, because I'm, you know, this new, well, about eight, nine years ago, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, you know, which I didn't have when I was riding in Rite Aid. Um, yep. So now I have this element, which is a whole other thing. And I wake up every day and try to beat that disease. And, and that's my, you know, my push in life. It's not bike racing. It's not an ego. It's not, I'm not chasing a dragon. I'm not trying to relive my youth. It's, uh, I'm just overcoming this disease and it's a challenge every day and I work on it really hard. Yeah. I mean, my wife is type one. And so clearly from the very beginning of our relationship, I've, I've learned that journey, um, learned that lifestyle, that experience, um, how hard it is for both sides of the coin, you know, um, watching her, you know, just have these, these moments of just extremely low blood sugar and it's, mind-blowing how high functioning she she is when it's like her blood sugar is 55 you know and she's just on business calls hammering out work that's just so high level and i'm just like it, when i first together like i didn't understand like low blood sugar for a regular person is like 80 you know and you're like oh you just feel nauseous like oh don't good don't feel good then you have like some right food and like you get better pretty quickly um it wasn't until I had a super low blood sugar moment. Like I was in the like high fifties, I think after doing some knucklehead stuff with keto and bike racing and not taking care of myself that I truly understood what she was doing and what she was capable of with those, those highs and lows. Um, and so what's that like very late in life, you know, mid thirties, you get, you get type one after you've created so many habits, training, racing, lifestyle, what was that learning curve like? Well, I'm glad I was older when it happened to me. I understood how, you know, your body worked, carbohydrates, everything that, you know, the energy system I understood. So the harder part was when you introduce insulin in your body and then, you know, then you realize your body changed on a cellular level and nothing's like it was before. 
And that was the, the learning curve and how to optimize that and utilize that and get the equipment, like the pumps, the continuous glucose monitors, and all this stuff was kind of new, you know, 10 years ago. It was a, it was a new tech. And, uh, you know, then it became to afford it. And that was my struggle. Being a small, <laughs> small bike shop owner, you know, yep. minimal health care, this was the hurdle. Um, so a lot of what we're doing now is to kind of help other people go through what I, I went through. I mean, that's the final step in healing, right, is helping other people go through it. And that's, that's what this is about, Team Skyline, winning the race with diabetes. Um, you know, that's, that's what I'm pushing on to, to do this and how my body changed. And it's still changing now as I'm getting older. Um, having to make adjustments and do things and tech is getting better as it goes but uh, it's a major major change you know in your daily life from in, you know in your 27 you're invincible and you're just racing all over the world on no sleep and travel and all this and that and that. it's like now I'm still trying to do it at 44 plus with the disease it's like this is really hard <laughs> yeah yeah but but it also the challenge I'm up for the challenge so that's why I'm still doing it yeah we'll see tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so i mean that puts us like into the now and like let's just back up for like your ride aid era and then for me my next memory of you is riding for gate uh not gateway harley davidson batley. but batley harvard Dave, harley davidson in, in that program was there a is there a gap in there that i'm missing of, of who you rode with or was no, that the transition that, that was the transition yeah uh right to, you know 2007 was my last year with Right, a 2008 I picked up with Batley. Russ Langley was my buddy, and yep. uh, you know he was there. So it kind of like it, it just went from there. And Russ, Russ Langley, John Page, uh, Dave Fuentes. Like is that Jonathan Page? Jonathan Page. Okay. Yeah. So um, you know it was with John, but you yeah, know Jonathan, others. Yeah, Jonathan Page. Made him in there. Great cross man. legend. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, great, great people to still learn from. And I was kind of it was an older team of guys, but. Yep. They, uh, I, I just spoke to Dave recently, and he said, you know, it was interesting at that time when we could just look at each other and knew what to do. Yep. And here I am with a team of young professionals, and it's trying to get that same communication. Yep. You know, we have radios now. We have all this stuff, <laughs> and it's like somewhere we, we lost communication. Yeah. Uh, so we're trying to take it back to that that era, you know, like just knowing what to do. And I, big part of my problem doing this my entire life is, some of the athletes, they don't actually know what to do, and I assumed everybody did. And that's where we had to back it up to the very beginning and start from the scratch, and that's what we're doing. We're trying to develop young riders. Yeah, and so Harley-Davidson, and then you started your your own shop and your shop team, Skyline. Correct. Well, the team, the shop was open since 2003. Okay. Uh, the yep. shop was going, um, you know, me and my dad were just started small and doing repair, a couple small small lines. We stayed small the whole time. Yep. Um, and it was just, just enough to be like a single guy, make enough money, engage with the community. I did a lot of outreach work with that, you know. Uh, it really, really gave you a sense of community. And Reading needed that, you know, especially at the time. There was a lot of big races in Reading, but a lot of other like, economic downfall as well. Um, so the races were the biggest highlight of, of the city, and I was, you know, a part of that. And you came along for the ride with one of those too. Yep. Uh, you know, I think it was really great for the city. So I, I pushed on that stuff in the shop. Um, and then, you know, when I started Team Skyline, that was 2010. That's, you know, it's got, got 13 some, years now. Yeah. Yep. It's got some time on it. Uh, it was just me. I just started with me. Like, I'm not going to try to go for contracts or go for any stuff. I'm just going to buy the stuff I want to ride in my shop. And then it just started from there. And then it grew. And now we're six years in on a continental program. Yeah. Uh, we're looking forward to next year. And so since you've been around the block two, three, four, five times, uh, you've been on these teams with elder statesmen, very exper experienced guys from Bill Ellison to F Dave Fuentes, Jonathan Page, um, and around that era where, as you just mentioned, you could look over and make eye contact and you didn't have to speak and you just could trust the guys with the role they were given, uh, the executing tactics that were discussed pre-race. And now we're in 2023 with... A completely different ecosystem of bike racing right probably back in those early 2000s you know even into the teens of you know 2012 13 there's a lot of bike racing to be had like if you were if you sat down in december and you're like i'm gonna race as much as i can race at a pretty high level you could probably do like a hundred days in america yeah that, for sure 
few good stage races as well. Yeah, with stage races, with you know these Criterium series, with you know high level regional races like now, like Snake Alley would be one of those where it's like you know that region is going up there, so you know that field is going to be pretty high quality. We knew, you know, going down into Texas, there was going to be like a high regional. Like you go down into the Bay Area early season February, you know that stuff for a long time would have. That was 50% pros. You know, they were all there at training camp. A lot of those guys were based in Northern California. So you'd show up to like a Snelling road race and it's like, why is this not a pro race? <laughs> Just looking at the, the field quality. But now you kind of step back over here. It's like, I would almost struggle to get 40, what I would consider 40 high quality NCL ACC days. Well, that is the hard part right now. And a lot of the series will just have one race. Yep. Um, that's a real struggle for us to uh, accommodate the riders. You know, we don't. It, it you only have so much money to work with to run a team, right? So you want to you want to get as much out of it as possible. So you need quality events in you know nice areas. You know, we don't really want to travel to just you know suppressed parts of the world. We want to go see beautiful things, the culture around and. And that's, that's another part of where we aim with the races. Uh, right now, it's really tough to find a good series of events where you do three crits in a weekend, three or four crits in a weekend. You know, like the Gateway Cup is a, was a good example of racing where you get four days of racing and it's, it's, it's worth the trip. You know, it's, flights are expensive, bikes are expensive. Everything went up except the prize money. <laughs> yep. No, no, very true. And so, I mean, kind of speaking to that, your program now from you know what's seen online you guys are very international program you guys do 28 uci starts already this year and how many domestic starts like you guys other than like your guys at home and he's doing like a regional stuff your guys have not been shown up to the acc races uh you guys did miami right because you're part of the the nco but outside of that you guys not racing domestically what's what's the driver behind that decision to well, go international um, and more focused there versus being that continental presence in the U.S. Um, to kind of give it that, you know, next layer of stature, if you will. Well, we want to develop the riders, you know, um, more European style, but it's actually we, we, we can stretch a dollar farther in Europe than you can in America, and you get a lot more race days out of it. You know, we'll go to Greece for three weeks. We get eight days of UCI racing, and, you know, we'll go to Italy for three weeks. We'll do the same thing, like, 10 days of UCI racing, a couple stage races. Uh, we, we, we'll, we base out of uh, Hotel Pearl in, in Italy, and then we can take a trip to Denmark where we'll get start money, we'll get a hotel covered. You know, it's just so much more experience. You get better food, you get better quality everything. Better quality everything, and it it's covered. You know, like what it costs for us to do a race like Redlands costs 15 grand. You know, get, get the team there, stay in host housing, do it on the cheap for 15 grand. Or we can get over to Europe and stay for three weeks, get put up, get start money, get everything going. You know that it's it's so much more economical and so much better experience for the riders. That's like yeah, really impressive. I mean, I think that's just one thing that's a, a very large line in the sand between domestic racing and, and an international European racing. Right? Is their infrastructure is so old, right? So polished. There's just it is the it is a European, you know, pro sport. And it's taken very serious to have those resources where getting the start money, right, versus paying an entry fee <laughs> is is big for a program. Um, the amount of race days that, that can happen, whether it is a UCI day or just, you know, um, for me it was Belgian Kermesses, right? And there was like five a week, you know, and those things were um, crazy hard and they cost like seven euros, Um and you, you could fit in 200K by riding there, um, getting your face kicked, and then just, like, limping home, um, wiping the tears away. <laughs> yeah, well, that, you know, that's what I, I did this a few times in my life as well, and I think that's a big part of it is, you know, we're going to send a crew over to Belgium again in the fall. Uh, we're going to we keep kicking, you know. Um, each each year we get new experiences, but, yeah, getting some, some young guys in Belgium is also a good experience to grow got to know how fast to ride in the gutter yeah yeah and then just that the the tactical nuance of being a look at a teammate in the eye and know that when this happens the next three things happen right and we're all on the same page we're all reading out of the same book yeah, right. <laughs> following the same guidelines um and so where do you think in the last 
five, eight years, new young riders just miss that development window. Well, what I noticed was two years of COVID. So when you get a, a resume from a you know U23 rider who's got hardly no results um, because there wasn't much racing, but he's throwing a power file at you, some Zwift thing, you know, uh, it's hard to pick and choose young athletes to, to, to groom. And I just had to, had to take, you know, a, a phone call, talk to the rider, and then say, okay, let's go on and know that I'm going to teach this guy everything from scratch you know, how to pack your bag, how to travel, what to do, like everything, and understanding that that's what you need to do to develop a rider. And uh, then, then take them and give them the experience, and then, you know, what did you get out of that? And then debrief, and then grow from it, you know. And so w- it, are we going to see Skyline come back to the U.S.? Like once you, the majority, the core of your program goes to Europe, gets their face kicked in, physically develops, tactically develops – all that stuff, are you going to see value in coming back to the U.S. for some of the larger races with a program that doesn't have to talk while they race and they can execute a plan like we see the big programs do? You know, that you look at Legion, right? And that's, you know, um, retired World Tour squad for the most part, right? So that's like the amount of race days that show up to Tulsa, you know, is in the thousands amongst the whole team versus a Skyline program that shows up and it's like collective we have... 40. <laughs> right, exactly. And so are we going to, is domestically, are we going to see Skyline come back and show off everything they've learned the last couple of years with these Euro trips? Or are you just trying to really build this East Coast program that is just using Europe um, as your platform to build, build Team Skyline? We're going to develop in America the best we can, and we're going to keep the UCI program in Europe going higher and higher in Europe. You know, uh, Kopi Bartley's on our radar. We're going to start out next season in, in Greece again. Hopefully the fires subside and tourism kicks back up and we can go to Greece because that's our plan. Do the eight eight to ten UCI days in Greece uh, early season, February, and then March go over to Italy. Kopi Bartley at Giro d'Apanino, one dot pros some bigger stuff so we're we're growing the team we're, we're growing we're merging with some other uh another shop that's that's a that's a bit a way to move the product that we use so um you know that's going to be a, a another another stepping stone uh we got got some good stuff in the works here and that's that's really you know it's a, almost a week or two too early to actually say everything but um yeah, we're going to grow to the next next level and we're going to focus on big European races. And then next year, we're going to try to do more of a development crit team here in the States uh, and and work with U26 riders for it. We're not going to be an you know expired Pro Tour riders coming back to the States. We're still trying to build to that, that level with Europe being our pinnacle and then the domestic scene we're going to do. And then we're going to have a, a, you know, a domestic elite team. Um, with the women as well. So we'll be, be doing a lot more domestic stuff next season. Okay. So we're going to see you guys, you know, have presence everywhere. And so what is, what does the U 26 program look like? What is that? What's the vision for that? What are the riders you're looking for? What is, you know, is it going to be kind of the traditional, well, we can't call it traditional, but the current state of domestic racing where we're going to see some early season stuff and then speed week, Tulsa, Toad, Intelligentsia, etc. Is that what that program is going to be Basically, based yeah. off of? And we're going to be looking for riders that we can pull out of the crit scene and bring them up to the UCI scene. You know, we're going to we're going to focus pretty hard on that. We might end up running just a straight U23 team as well because you can run a U23 team if you have six in Italy. Yep. And you can do a, a U23 European races, and that's really what we're looking to do with a U23 team. And then you kind of have this cross cross uh in between the 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 u23s and the uci riders that's where we're gonna have to try to scoop up more build on the uci program yeah because we know like mike woods came in pretty late to our sport like post-college 24 25 year old um amazing 1500 meter runner just insane physiological capabilities and then you know started on the garneau program did really well then went to you know Italy and went to like a pretty trash program and got the experience of a lifetime um, and showed you know one side of the sport and for him that like that was a program that like you know sent me one direction and he went the he was calling me you know that winter saying hey I got, I'm getting picked up what can you tell me and I was just like oh man you know his this is my experience just like know before you go 
you know, and if there's another option, you might consider it. Um, but that was the option he took and he had one hell of a ride there in terms of just experience. I mean, he crashed, I don't know how many times that year and he just kept getting back up and just going and going and going. And now he's winning tour stages. Um, but that's a perfect example. And, and Phil Gaiman in Semestic is another guy that was post U23 that had ability that, um, found his way, right. Ended up in the pro tour, but it's like having that, that stop gap, right. Cause not everybody gets in the sport at 16 that can get all through the right channels and go through a U23 program and get identified and go somewhere. It's like, there's a lot of guys that are older than 23 and younger than 28 that just need some guidance and need some mentorship while they're everything kind of comes together to launch them outside of the U S right. Well, yeah, there's a, it's a lot, a lot involved with it, you know, and a, like a big, uh, big thing I'm noticing is that, you know, now that I'm living in Canada and I'm working with Canadian athletes and American athletes, like if you take a, a Canadian athlete, he, gets out of university as a degree in hand uh he's got health care he's got no student debt you take a u.s rider he's got a bunch of student debt he's got a degree with no job it's a it's a it's a struggle so it's it's when you're picking those athletes you look at their personal hurdles in life and what they got to get through to do this sport and really you know lay it out for them like look, look this is what you would need to do if you want to do this is it you know when i'm talking to an american athlete yep you know like we can't cover your everything. You're not going to come on Team Skyline and get free everything. Yep. But we're going to meet you halfway, and we're going to give you a, a huge amount of experience, a huge amount of mentorship, and you know, help take you to the next level. But you're going to have to work on your side. Yep. And rider accountability is a major, major part of this program, and it's 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 stressed and it's working though. It's, yep. it's every rider steps up in somehow, some way, and uh, you know, then we get them over to Europe and throw them in the deep end, and it's. It's, it's an interesting thing to watch because I know what it's like to be there. Yeah, no, totally. And so from you, like, give us kind of a story, like, back of, like, Pinnacle of DeWald. Like, you know, you're, you know, why are you the guy? Like, what's your experience to be able to mentor guys? I mean, because, like, right, the call-up, like, we're here, you know, following the crit scene, very, like, in-depth ta- tactical nuance, right? It's me pointing out people being boneheads, doing dumb things, like, you know, questioning rider strategy team strategy you know and then we've got gabe right who comes back from race the peloton typically 50 percent or back respectively um you know and he had his moments at the front right but it's a i think it's a really good we meet each other halfway of he's like this is the perspective from this point of the peloton and this is my perspective from you know the front of the peloton and i think we're able to share a lot and so you know classify yourself validate your you know where you exist in your history you know whether that's hey like you know this is how we got jonathan page a big win or dave fuentes a big win in your role right that you can share with all these young guys it might about because i know that it's like not always the guy that won the race knew what he was doing right or didn't even come up with the plan right he just had the engine to listen to everybody around him and go across the line first. Uh, well, I think, you know, it was just the experience. You know, I did, I got my first UCI uh, pro contract. I was 23. It came from a mountain bike background. I did 2002. I raced in, in Europe, uh, dabbled with the national team and a bunch of big races over there. Um, and that really set me up uh, coming into 2004. I was with Snow Valley that year, and it was a good crew of people, a good environment. Uh, Brian Walton was calling the shots. John Wersing, people that knew how to win races. Wersing had over 100 career wins at that time, so winning I think is a factor. Uh, myself, I'm not, you know, never won real big races, but I won a lot of smaller level races. So it's 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 understanding how to win what you're capable of. Uh, within your parameters, you know, I was already running my shop. I didn't have all the time in the world. I had started a way to make money in a life and, you know, um, raced as much as I could. And there were times where I could race like a real true pro. And then there were other times where it's like I had to work to live like a pro. Yep. Uh, so, you know, and I, it was that balance between life and riding and, you know, helping, you know, finding that myself, but now helping other riders do that is another another step like okay well here you are you're in school you got a part-time job but you're still winning on the weekends that's that's amazing yep and that deserves a little support and that's an athlete that i'm going to try to help build up and and keep in the sport you know uh the other thing though if to win a bike race you need to be smart if you're really smart 
you know not to race bikes. <laughs> okay, so, you know, this is, uh, this is the factor where I'm not that smart. I'm still racing my bike, um, and I'm still showing people how to do it. You know, the guys on the team are half my age. Yep. And I'm still rolling with them. I'm still out there. I'm watching them. And most of the time, I find myself going up to cover their six. Yep. Keep them safe. Make sure they're not. And then I can really talk to them then after the race. What happened here? What did you see? Not reprimand them. Yep. What? Okay. Let's not do that again. I can tell the riders what not to do. I don't have the recipe uh, to tell them what to do. But when I can get it to all gel and it works and they do win and we come up with a win, whether it's a local race or whatever. Like I like the $10,000 crits. Yep. Yep. You know, I don't care what level it is. It's $10,000 on the line. Let's go win it. Yep. You know, and that's that's what's like the domestic side, which is cool. And then in the European side, you get into like a 2.2 or a 1.2. It's like, let's get some UCI points, you know, and that's the goal. Okay, so what's the plan, right? Goal without a plan is just a wish, right? Like, yep. let's go for it. <laughs> um, so I help them with all that stuff, and we talk about it, and... I call the riders afterwards after a debrief. I'll go up to the room. Hey, what happened here? What, what was going on here? All right, well, you know, I, I'm very honest. Yep. And no, I think accountability and... Accountability uh, is a major word. Right I think there. is like the kind of the first step, right, is, is having accountability and then building the relationship and trust that it's when you're tough, right, when you're the leader and you, you call it black and white, it's, it's not personal, right? It's just like in between the, the start line and the finish line is business and this conversation is based on what happened between point A and point B and it's nothing about you personal it's about how you how you worked as you know my employee so to speak right and like what your performance entailed on that and that day and why how your performance you know uh, was impacted right and like that's what we're discussing it's not about whether you're a good person or a bad person whether you treated people poorly or not or whatever like you try to build Hire people you don't have to have those discussions with, whether or not you were a, a dick in the group or not, you know. But it's just like, hey, what, what, how'd you miss this? Like, it was clear as day. How, like, tell me, like, just be honest with me and, like, just tell, like, if you weren't thinking and just say, like, oh man, I was just, like, kind of daydreaming and I didn't think anything was going to happen, like, well, clearly you can't be in that headspace because we missed the move, right? Like, you miss the next opportunity to learn. It's not about you missed the opportunity for a result. It's like, in Europe especially, is just like it's 10K at a time of learning, you know, and if you don't think for 10K and you miss 80K of racing at the front, you know, you've just set yourself back because you didn't, you weren't checked in. Yeah, it's, it, it, you know, situational awareness, right? Like the guys learn that quick in Europe, like really quick because they're out, they're done, they're out the back. See you. Yep. You know, and that was that's something that, you know, you're learning. You're going to fly to Europe to get your teeth kicked in to learn how to make it to the halfway point of the next race. Yep. Um, and that's what Europe provides because then when you bring a guy back from Europe and you bring him into the States, they're fit enough to hang. Yep. Now they just got a new learning curve and another 200 corners. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, you know, exit speed. Yep. This is one, the one thing I preach to all the riders, you know hold position, carry exit speed, look for each other, you know, cover somebody's six. Yep. That just makes sure nobody's going to, they can leave a little gap going into the corner, roll out of it a little bit faster without somebody jumping on the inside of them. Yep. So this is a, you know, small, small things like this that make a difference at the end of 500 corners. What's crazy to me is like with that whole thing of like giving yourself a little space, I definitely feel like when we were sharing the Peloton is like, that was just like common thought process from first wheel to last wheel was like, I can leave a little bit, you know, for the first 80% of this race, everybody's giving a little bit, an extra six, 12 inches. So they can preserve energy, preserve speed. And I think nobody was wanting to touch the brakes, right? So everybody collectively had this ideology of like, well, what environment can I create to just carry speed like the whole time? And then all of a sudden you get into the last 20% of the race. And I was like, collectively the whole peloton like their mind shifts and everybody's like i'm no longer giving that space but we're at the business end and now i feel like so much of the peloton is just like from the from the moment you roll off the start line it's like no inch given and every inch is filled from guys and it's just like what are you so anxious for i like i don't understand like where where was that built in you know from 
that guy that's come from a three to a two to a one, how, how, where, like, where does a mindset come from? Like, what well, are these coaches, these mentors? They don't have that. What they have is they got two years of COVID, no racing, a ton of Zwift, a huge, you know, amount of training, uh, data, performance, power, watts, no ability to corner. Entitled that they're going to win, but they've never really won or even got close to it. But they're they're saying that, so they're just jamming in corners, jamming in corners. Safety is not a factor, you know. Where I think what you and I came through this school, where like when you did Philly Week the first time, all the Europeans came over here. Yep. You need to do everything you could to just finish, just to hang with those with that that peloton. Yep. Right. These people never had any of that. They've never been to Europe. They've never had Europe come to them. They've never had this huge amount of speed. They've never had that big gear, you know. And now they're just taking whatever they can get, and they're sliding. They're not 23-year-old, 22-year-old people. You know, they don't know. They just don't know. So you can't even reprimand them. <laughs> it's, it's, They've uh, got no idea what a 21-millimeter tire at 140 PSI even feels rain. like. In the rain. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, that's that's another factor. Um, you know, they're running these narrow bars. Everything's changing. Uh, you know, it's it's physics isn't changing on the last lap. Yep. <laughs> All right. So that's a, another factor if they make it that far. But I see it getting better. Yeah. Do you find your guys asking questions sooner? I mean, like, clearly, like you just stated, like, they're coming from Zwift and these other platforms in isolation where they're getting told, like, these are these are mega numbers. Like, oh, you should ride away from the field. And, like, there's guys that I see that have these numbers and don't win. And they continue to not win, but also not ask for help or advice. And, like, what? how many of your guys, or is that something you suss out before they come and exactly, race, is exactly, yeah. how willing... Like, you've got big numbers, you know, you haven't won a race, why haven't you won a race? And they're like, that's what I'm here for. Like, that's what I'm trying to figure out and learn. Well, it's interesting for me, you know, we work with, with Mike Norton, he I rode on Rite Aid with, and he's uh, he's been uh, been coaching all the athletes, uh, he, he runs all their files, has all their data, you know, so he knows what they're doing. And, you know, there's three of us, myself, Tachi, and Norton, we sit down, we select the riders for, the, for, for what event, but I'm actually out there with the riders. Yep. And Norton's numbers sometimes aren't going to add up to what I'm actually <laughs> seeing because, you know, this guy's blowing his numbers because he's not rolling the corners right. This guy, you know what I mean? So there's a, there's a lot of different factors that come into it. Um, and we're, we're, you know, a lot of, like, Norton and Tachi can put riders under a microscope and look at everything. Yep. I'm out there with them, but I'm looking through a kaleidoscope. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Is that because <laughs> of low blood sugar or just <laughs> lack of fitness? <laughs> I'm just watching, yep. you know, and um, what could be. Yep. And that was beautiful. That was not. Yep. You know, and let's try to focus on keeping it smooth and safe and looking out for everybody in the race. We, we're always showing up with full squads. That's yep. the other thing. We're not showing up in small groups. We got a full squad and support and everything. We're going into every event the, with the best preparation as possible. So that's also another reason why you don't see us at a, a racing every single weekend. You know, we just had basically six weeks off after Tour de Beauce. It was kind of like take six weeks and regroup. And then we're going to hit hard the second half of the season into, into the, the, these two NCLs, Baltimore, and then back to Europe. Yeah. And so do you see, or oh, where was I going with this? You bring six guys to every race. And that was something we grew up with, right? It's just every team, Primal Alliance, Kodaks, like, you know, all these programs had six, right? And there were six good guys. And that had a a level of difficulty that associated, like, with that race, right? Because you had now 120 guys that, that could race. Now we're only seeing, you know, Gabe and I talked about this trend looking at race results. Like, there's a lot of, like, teams now winning when they show up with just two or three riders. Is it those extra three riders just, like, are the fat right and it's like you can trim off the fat and and but what like if now all these programs like let's just take the top 10 acc programs if they showed up with six guys that can race all of like the same caliber right outside of like two or three percent how fast do you think domestic racing would change versus kind of this pretty top heavy right that was like 10 guys that we're saying are like for me and you old hats right just like i'm old are bike racers. And then there's like a, I feel like there's like quite a bit of a drop off. And then there's a pool of riders that are solidly a level below. 
And then there's, you know, kind of that back third that, you know, are probably guys that just work super hard, right? And they're just like, I'm, I've been a cat one forever and this is super fun. And I'm just like, really going to go there, test myself and then just party super hard. I see, I see it right now. The way I see the racing is you have the teams of six, right? But you'll only have one or two top tier guys and then a bunch of just development on the, on, you know, new riders. Uh, that don't have the experience, that don't have it. So you get a little bit of disparity amongst the teams. When Prime Alliance showed up, they had six top-of-the-line athletes. Yep. You know, and that's what we had, you know, back in the day. Like, one of the names I want to throw out, uh, Alejandro Barrero. Remember this guy? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like... He's a right-head boy. Yeah, exactly, yep. you know. Um, How old was he when he came onto that program? I was young, but he felt old, but he f seemed like he was, like, around for, like, another decade. But, uh, I mean, he could have been, like, 23 yeah, when he showed up. he was... Um, yeah, not that old, 27, 28, I think. Yep. Uh, but okay. he's got a ton of experience. He raced, you know, he was second to Bataki in four stages of the 2004 Giro. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the dude could roll. Uh, but I learned a ton from him. But he, he was so far ahead of everybody else on the team that he brought the rest of the team up to that level. And he couldn't even speak English. Yep. You know, so that's something that I, I see now, like... Um, you know, when I would bring guest riders onto the team, you, for example, or uh, Jake Keogh came on, like we had these experienced riders come on and it kind of like showed these young guys like, Hey, whoa, wow. You know, yep. just being in the same Jersey and just following that guy for one race yep. was so monumental to like, when you came on and raced with us for a one weekend of racing, it was like Davey expressed like, Whoa, wow. That was so much, <laughs> you know, like. And that's the same thing. Like, if you can spend a season racing with something like that, you will step up to that next level. And, yep. you know, um, that's why we're going to try to cross-pollinate some of this UCI stuff with some of our top crit racers, some of these domestic riders that are coming through. We want to take them on. Let's go over here. Let's try this. So you're saying you might need an old hat that's just not quite as old as you? <laughs> <laughs> but somebody to fill that gap? Is that what you're saying? Is that, well, you know. Are uh, you hiring? <laughs> got flexible hours. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there's there's value in it all. Uh, the sport right now, I think, just needs a lot more money into it. That's why I'm really happy the NCL came in and they threw a lot of money at it. They started, you know, two new teams. Uh, they're treated well. The riders are treated well. Everybody's paid. Uh, they put out on, you know, th three new events, which is great, you know, in, in great parts of the world, you know, a place where you can fly into easily, a place you can rent a car, get a hotel, grab a good meal. You know, I don't want to go to a town where I can't go to a good restaurant. Yeah. You, know? you paid your dues? Is that what you're yeah. saying? I'm out on all that. <laughs> so you're telling me that all your new 23 guys are going to go experience. You, you get, you're getting a white E250 van, 15 passenger for these guys that's got 200,000 miles, and you're just going to sit around for like three months? Yeah, no. No? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but I do want all the riders to be able to taste the food from the region. Uh, yeah. Because you know, you're a big foodie. Your yeah, wife is a chef. Exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. I want everybody to taste the food and uh, have a sip of the wine. You know, just to just to just understand it. You know, like when we race in Italy and then we go to Parma and have a plate of pasta with Parmesan cheese on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, you're 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 uh, yeah. It's just it's it's part of it. And knowing the wine to the region to the food to the cuisine, that's something that that you're gonna get out of this sport, and it's gonna be valuable for the rest of your life. Where if you don't take the time, you're gonna miss out on it. And I think part of my life, I missed out on it, just not having the money, just in the gutter, just like not having that experience and now this is something where i like want to encourage our athletes to to try all that stay in this hotel see what this is like you know experience it for what it's worth yeah that's super cool i mean like for i would say far too of my career i was definitely the like bonehead legs up like not gonna walk anywhere just so performance focused um that i didn't experience as much as i should have right and get as much local cuisine culture because I was provided insane opportunities to go like a lot of different places and my, I was had so many blinders. And so to not have that mentorship or leadership on a program, and these are like respectively like high level programs, like big budgets, right? Like very performance oriented, right? It was either, it's pretty cutthroat. So I can see why there wasn't like from the brass down saying, oh, you know, like go walk around, you know, go do all these things. And it's, it's definitely a delicate balance. And I found that as I got older, how to manage that, how to like take care of myself and be, performance ready but still be able to have experiences um and i'm very fortunate that i like some of those pieces clicked for me that i can like now be in this position look back and be like oh man i did get to experience these things 
and look back at the things I didn't get to experience um, and take that away as, as a like net positive overall. So that's pretty cool that this you're, you're getting those guys from the top down saying, hey, we're going to go race our bikes. You know, the ideal is to do as best as we can. But like we, we suffer enough to like have earned a good experience, right? Like have a moment because as we know, like, I mean, you're blessed to be here at this age still racing because you haven't had a, a catastrophic cast that's taken you out of the business, right? Like, so, but that can happen. We've seen it like Jake Keogh, right? Just an unknown medical condition completely just like takes him out of the sport that he was dominating. And so if he wasn't taking, like if he wasn't having opportunities, right? Ex- experiencing different parts of the world and like truly doing that, you know, in tomorrow, right? And like, it's so cliche to say, but it's so true, especially in this type, in our sport. You're not going to leave the sport with a big pile of money. You might as well have some experience. <laughs> yep. You know, um, I think in my my run as a you know as as a Conti pro, right, racing around in Europe and all over, uh, I, it was frowned upon. I'm like, I would go out. Yep. I'm going to go. Well, I'll see ya. Bad you boy know? cycling. Yeah. You know, and it was like, <laughs> oh no, 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 and it was like so taboo. Um, but I went out and I I tasted the food. I met a local. I you know what I mean. Yep. Sometimes I fell in love. Sometimes I showed up on a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> and arguably, like, you know, again, my perspective, right, of, you know, the, the age gap is, like, outside looking into your performances, I don't think much would have changed if you would have been hard-nosed, blinders-on, hyper-focused enough for it to be worth the hyper-focus. Like, you weren't going from, like, finishing 30th helping a guy to feet up blinders on going top five yourself it, it wasn't in my cards i mean i i wanted this the experience i yep. wanted to race my bike as hard as i could but i also wanted to go out afterwards and have a great meal you know like if i can't do that i'm not going yep and i pick and choose my battles and i did what i could do but i, I you know i was more of a helper i wasn't the winner you yep. know what i mean um if i if i had the clear to go out and go race for myself you know what i mean i might have been third or seventh you know but like you know, you had a clear kick. You had that clear. You were a, a winner. But I could have helped guys like you. You know, like Ollie Hondro was always like, up Ryan, up Ryan, up Ryan. And it's like I found out, like, I was really helping him moving up, just moving people up, getting to the front. You know, the last four or five laps of a crit, stay, staying out of the uh, out of the scrum, you know, pulling people to the front a little bit more. And now, like, I've been doing that to riders. And last week, the two riders that I was doing that with, are they were doing it with each other. And I was yep. just following, watching it. Like, something's working. It's connecting. Yep. So, uh, you know, there's all the little bits that go into it. But I think experience helps. And just staying calm. Uh, talking to riders off the ledge. But then also rewarding. Like, hey, let's go have a meal. Let's yep. go do this. Let's go do that. Like, I think that keeps the incentivized, uh, the program, um, and then doing good, you know, I do a lot of outreach stuff, so they get to see that. Yep. You know, I, most of the athletes, if I say, hey, what's the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? They won't even know. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, and that's just the general general popula- population. Yep. Um, and that's, just, you know, another part of the mission of it all is, like, giving back, doing good, doing bike rodeos. We always activate in the community somehow, some way, at every race we do. And so one of your early things that, like, I noticed, right, and you were probably doing stuff way before, but... The big, you know, East Coast, you know, wheelie trend, right? And we see it on Instagram now and TikTok of all these kids just doing insane wheelies through traffic, whatever else. But in Reading, there's a community of those kids that they've taken onto that culture. And you've, from being this, you know, white male road cyclist spandex dude, you know, who runs a bike shop. When I was there and, you know, my experience with you going into your shop and the people you had under your wing working there and you know just being around you personally for that you know time is yeah the 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 people you surround yourself was not the people that i had imagined right like foolishly or just naively um you know and so talk more on that like these kids that you for the last 10 15 years since you know skyline's existence as a shop and your presence in reading you know, getting these wheelie kids to rad sport, right? And helping Gabe put on this event for these kids that have never been to, like to just show them a path. Yeah, well, um, I was that kid. 
you know, I was a misled youth riding wheelies down the middle of the street, you know, uh, hoping a car would hit me, you know, <laughs> I lay there till they wrote me a check. <laughs> I'm off to the races, right? You know, so that was, uh, that, that was me. And what I, what I found that I'm good at is I could relate to them because I grew up in Reading. I grew up in a, in that society and I got myself into trouble as well. You know, I know how hard it is to get out of that system. Um, you know, so I could relate to a lot of them. Uh, and then I could go ride wheelies down the middle of the street with them and then gain their trust. And then I could, you know, also trust them. And then the fact that I could get them on a mountain bike and take them to the top of the trail and now, now ride down here. And we took the kids out of the street riding wheelies into the middle of the traffic and got them on mountain bikes. And some of them took it to the next level, you know, and some of them are still racing, you know, high level, like downhill or enduro or doing trail maintenance all the time. And, you know, it, it's grown to the point where, you know, a kid that I was working with 10 years ago that was 15 is now 25 and running part of the organization or, you know, running my shop. Uh, you know, it's 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 been interesting. Uh, it's a, it was a good give back program and you know it's just purely because i could relate to it all yep you know personally and that's what kept me going and got me into this sport and got me into this situation and you know i'm, I'm just going to keep trying to give back until the day i die and so we you know i know that like you know you're married to a canadian you guys have two beautiful kids you, your, your wife has business up in canada what's you still going to spend 50 50 between it to to keep your everything you've been building and doing and reading going or is that is that baton that torch being passed to some of these kids you've mentored to keep rolling and you're going to kind of keep checking into that community or what's what's the plan there outside of skyline bike racing and community help um yeah well, we'll always run a community program in reading as far as i can see uh one way or another that'll keep going um you know i still own the shop the shop's running my dad's in there the kids are kind of running richie's 26 years old now well wow. you know uh wow. it's just it's you know yeah he, he's he's doing well though he's he's got a good job opportunity he's looking at right now so i'm you know i want to send him up and out you know uh we're always developing a young rider that are a young young kid in the city that can fix bikes uh mechanics are hard to find and we just build them one one young guy at a time just from hanging out at the shop and my dad's really good at that and as long as i got my dad around that's going to keep continuing um Eventually, though, no, I'm, I'm spending a lot more time in Canada. Uh, you know, I'm there with my kids, my wife's restaurants. That's the, the, the big breadwinner there. So um, um, that's our priority. The kids, the restaurants are number one. Then on the backside, I can do the team stuff and some personal training. You know, I don't, I don't train anymore. I ride when I can. <laughs> uh, and I'm still competitive. So yep. I'm still learning how to do it. Uh, I, can, I can do it better if I had more time, but I don't. So it, it is what it is, and I'm just having fun with it. Well, I mean, that's like, you know, not to cut you off, but it's like the perfect example of like understanding technique, nuance, tactics is like you don't have, having the massive motor almost is like a disadvantage if you don't have these other things because you just build such bad habits. So it's pretty cool to see, you know, hopefully you're just like in some, in some fashion looking at the rest of your guys being like, you're 22 years old, you have this much more fitness and i'm two places behind you at the end of this bike race why well, you know let me help you like it, it is figure it out well we look at these numbers so you know you look at the tss of this rider and the tss of my of my my you look at my numbers and then another young rider all right so here you are you know you're 20 years younger than me what are you doing out there you yep. know because you know here i am like i finished in front of you <laughs> you know i'm older and i have a chronic energy condition yeah. okay um, I think what you're, t another thing to back up to what you're saying is, you know, I, when I was in my early thirties, I was at like my peak physical fitness. And then at 33, 34, all of a sudden late onset type one diabetes, energy crisis condition, I could no longer bring glucose into the cell and produce energy. It all changed. And that was a humbling. Yep. And that's where FTP dropped tremendously. Yep. And my results came up. Yep. And that was a part where I said, whoa. <laughs> this is, I don't have any ego anymore. Yep. So most of the races I lost were either because I was anxious and flew off the handle or because I was just impatient or I just felt so strong that I was going to burn all my matches and I still got smoked. All of a sudden, I didn't have any of those feelings anymore. I just needed to be conservative and ultra consistent and then 
results started to come. And so we're going to like transition into the Navy Yard. 2016? Was that 16? Uh, that's my, one of my best races <laughs> ever. And so you were type one. I was type one. And so tell everybody what that race was. Well, you were there with Stephen Hall, uh, you know. Both. And Stephen Hall's an Australian track yeah. legend, super good, was on the national team, one of the fastest guys. In uh, Australia, yeah. In Australia, came over, you know, he's won some and, big crits here. And you were there, but, you know, I, I don't think you guys realized that I won a 35-plus race earlier. Uh, no, I just found that out right now. <laughs> I was today this old. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did the 35-plus, and then I get into the race with you guys, and it's like, I don't know what happened. I think... Uh, I just looked to the left, the right, and it was an instinct, but Hall was going, I went, you came up, and then I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> And then I looked back, and there's just nobody around, and I'm like, Ugh. And then you came through, and it was like, we got half the race to go. <laughs> I, was, I was just dying, and, uh, well, I'll tell you what happened, exactly what happened. Because this is like a local race, Philly, yeah, er, you know, that a, region. It was a Philly classic race. It was a great event, and um, I wasn't expecting to run into you and Hall at this race in the first place. <laughs> Um, and I was still kind of new to diabetes about two years in on, on having this disease and working with some new tech and uh, I was doing that. So it was like, do the 35 plus, do some insulin, eat, recover. Then you have, you know, 40 minutes, you get to the line again and then you race again. And next thing you know, I'm going to break with you guys. I'm like looking at my blood sugar, trying to, uh, I'm just going to eat. <laughs> I'm just going to feed the speed here. Uh, I'm in good company and I'm going to not try to embarrass myself like I tried to pull through I tried to work with you guys and you, you were ripping my legs off but in the end what happened was you guys looked at each other and so so before we get there this course was a mile-ish long it was, rectangle it, it was a longer course it had a couple yeah. of corners in it it, it, it was, was kind of long a mile and a mile and a half, half. yeah so but it was like a, I, I remember it just being like this really long narrow rectangle like just massive straightaways um quick in between one two and three four i thought it had six corners might have had a little something at the end i yeah. don't know it might yeah. change I don't, um, I don't remember but yeah maybe but the finish line was also like at the very end of a long straight very end of a long straightaway and this is like somewhat industrial you could see like a long ways um what, I, what happened I, at some point i was with stephen hall and i couldn't pull anymore we were ro rolling you were coming up solo if I'm not mistaken, you were coming up solo. He was running from you. I couldn't really help him. You were coming <laughs> up. And then it was like, you got there. Then there was another separation. Like, the next thing I was latched onto your wheel. And you were riding from him. And he was chasing. <laughs> and it was just this back and forth. But I kind of was, like, just suffering the whole time. And then going into the, the last two corners, it's like, what was it? We came down. We made a right. You had a small straight. And it was the next right. You guys kind of gapped off the back. I just went to the front and was going to lead it out like a gentleman. You, <laughs> you two were looking at each other with, in a, a bit of words. And I said, I'm out of here. Yep. And I gave you the slip, man. <laughs> you let the old diabetic guy get up the road. <laughs> and, you, and you won the race. That was it. Yeah. yeah. That, was a, that was one of those rare days where I won a 35 plus and the one, two, three. It was a couple times in my life where I got to do that. Yeah, and I mean, for me, like, just, you know, part of that story is the, you know, yeah, you were suffering. Like, yeah, Steve and I were, like, going pretty hard. But you made a thousand different decisions to survive, right, the whole time. You didn't let ego get in your way. I mean, respectively, like, I was like, ah, Ryan, like, what? he's, like, you know, not pulling through. Like, I'm not that stressed. I didn't give you the credit you know, at the end of the day, like I should have <laughs> because you end up riding away from us. And that's, that's my mistake. Like that's my learning into the next one of like, if there is a guy suffering and sitting on is like, how crazy, like test him a little more than, than you did. But you, after that race, I was just like, man, right. Like he's just so cagey and he just did a thousand things right to get to lead Steven and myself in a direction to open this door for him, right? And even though your mindset was, I'm going to come out of this corner, I'm going to be the guy that just like leads it out and like gives those guys like a really good sprint. But you had made so many of these decisions that when you did check your shoulder to just like one last evaluation of what this thing is to see two dickheads looking at each other, John, you were like, oh no, this is my moment. And you would set yourself up even with how hard we had gone, like how much you were suffering, there was still enough self-preservation for this 
one opportunity. Like it was a very narrow window. Like this is the grain of sand that you still had and you played the card and you, you won the bike race and that's invaluable. And there's not a lot of guys still to this day that are racing that have the wherewithal to, to put those pieces together. Yeah, no, it's definitely, uh, one of my strong points in my, in my life in general was situational awareness and knowing when to go. Yep. You know, like just in every aspect of life. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, that was, a, and I saw that and it was just like, and I didn't care though. I didn't care if you guys smoked past me. I didn't care yep. at all. I was going to, no matter what I knew in just in the way the, the break went, it was up to me to lead it out. Yep. Right. But then when I saw you two kind of cancel each other out, it was an opportunity. And yep. I can sense an opportunity, <laughs> like, and that was it. Yep. And it was it was just enough to, to, to hold y'all off, but it was still fun. And, uh, you know, it, it was great watching you two battle. It was a cool time for me to be back in a winning circle after the diagnosis. Um, even at my age, then, at 35, you're kind of expiring. You yeah, know, you're you're definitely long in the tooth to be a bike racer, uh, but then you know, di- like I said, diabetes is my thing now. Just beating that, like that's what I do. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not out there to race anybody or prove anybody wrong or anything. It is an interesting situation though. Sometimes when I am in a break with a bunch of young, strong guys, they're all flaring egos and yelling and screaming, and I'm just kind of like rolling along. Like, <laughs> you're getting ready to get smoked by an old dude here. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. still it's still happening. Yeah, I mean that's that's awesome, and I hope. The, the guys, the young guys in your program can, you know, just see the opportunity they have to, to work with a guy like you that's not a race winner, but like as, as the one, but understands how to win races. And like you expressed earlier, is like, I know how, I know all the decisions to get to this point, right? Which is the last lap in the right position, but uh, you don't have all the experience in that last lap, which I think is a lot quicker to understand than getting, you know, out of a 100-lap race, doing all the 99% right. Right, I yeah. think the, if you can get there, learning that 1%, like you see it enough that you pick it up quickly. But learning that first 99% is so difficult that these guys, you know, one, you know, one of the top guys, like to be here and still doing it, right? Um, and you've worked with a lot of good riders to get them to that one final lap. That's That was always my strong point, to really help that star rider get there. I think that was, you know, uh, you know, Walmsley, Alejandro, uh, Zach Bell one year. Like, yep. you know, I always had some guy that <laughs> transition like, year. Yeah. You know, where he was, you know, fell into the program and it's like, all right, let's go make some money. Yep. You know, like that's what it was about. Right. Like money was the hard thing to get. And that's the deal. Like you run bike racing, like you run a business money in money out and you want to kind of kind of come out with something so you can get to the next event. Yep. So, you know, and that, that, that element's still a factor. The prize money's down considering how much it costs to travel now. So that's where I think a lot of the promoters need to crank up some of that prize money and we can keep living the dream. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a subject, you know, we're, Gabe and I are going to, we're working on tackling um, to tell that side of the story, the promoter side of the story and their journey, right, and getting from an idea of wanting to put a race on and, you know, wherever they're at and the process to get to, you know, race day. And, you know, talk to the ones that are successful and the ones, you know, that are just doing it passionately, you know, and, and what that divide is. And then give some of that because it's like as I've stepped away from the bike racing and getting more of their side of the story, how difficult it is and how much money it, it does cost them. Because there's economy of scale, right? Everything's gotten more expensive, whether that's porta parties barriers, signage, everything. everything. So um, we grew up, I think we were very fortunate to do a lot of races with a lot of prize money. 125 um. <laughs> grand, 40 deep in Chicago, or yep. in, in Charlotte. Everybody remembers that. Yeah, um, or the infamous Elk Grove era. You know. Um, so it's it's really kind of getting their story of how they're keeping our sport alive and you know putting prize money out there, but how difficult it is to get it back to that Charlotte heyday that that we got to experience. I think it's coming. Yep. I'm not giving up on it. I want to want to help that process. That's why I'm here at this NCL. That's why I jumped on it. You know, despite you know some skepticism that we're out there, and and it's like no, they're throwing money at the sport. We're going to go support it. Yep. And almost any race, we we try to support it somehow, some way. Yeah, I'd like to think that they're not just like throwing money at it, but they're building. You know, they're working on this. You know, massive foundation to build like a, a world class 
skyscraper on. So, um, let's start bringing European <laughs> talent back over to America. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how we can do that. What what kind of landscape we can shape to show you know to make it worth those guys coming back 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 over here. Whether that's like because the competition's high, the prize money's good, both. Um, yeah, I think I think if things keep going together, I think you know it's another story. I want to. Uh, you know, talk about, talk with, you know, some of my ideas, you know, but I think collectively everybody needs to start working together a little bit. I think we're quite divided at the moment. The, I agree. Our sport, um, I think it's as divided as it's ever been. And I think that hopefully somebody somewhere, you know, can find a way to kind of bring people together, bring some unity back, um, whether that's a coherent race schedule, right, that has big value at the end of it. So it's, a program like Skyline, you'd be like, oh, the whatever national calendar is back and it's got 15 events and it's going to pay out if we do all 15. So that's going to be a priority for us. And if 20 teams see that, then you've got 20 good teams going to the same races um, at, at a high level. And that's just like, you know, rising tide raises all ships, right? Right. Well, yeah, that, I think that's what we need. We, we need we need the we need this tide to come in. And I think, uh, you know, camaraderie amongst the teams. Like, I think we had a lot more of that back in the mid 2000s to you know even 10 years ago like you knew everybody you talked to people you called them on the phone more than you checked their social media now it seems (laughs) like everybody's just on social media not actually engaging yeah and and i'm the opposite i'm not really on the social media scroll you should see what they say about you i can imagine (laughs) i can imagine but um, I'm in real life. I'm at the events, and I like I notice it's not very warming. It's not like hey, hey, how are you? You know, there's not this social, and I don't think that the races provide that atmosphere. Everybody gets together after the race in a in a social setting. Yeah, you know that's what NCL is kind of creating that because we're here in the hotels. We we were in Miami together, and it was a fun. You know, it was yep. really cool. You know, and now here we are in Denver, and I'm I'm waiting. You know, tonight we'll do the the street the 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 qualifier, and then let's see what the after happens, and then the after of tomorrow tomorrow you know yeah. i want to i want to bring it all together and let's let's rise up yeah i'm with you and so now you know that brings us in you know we're going to wrap this thing up but what's give us your predictions on your program this weekend we, you guys are like eighth ninth on the we're, you know point we're seven down. we're seventh, seventh in points we 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 have a goal of moving to fourth okay. uh here's the here's the, t- the the tip is we have colleen on the women's side for this event um and and that should should help you know she's uh, a leader on the woman's side for sure uh, lead by example kind of a kind of a girl and um, you know the men have been working together all year there's a whole whole new crew of young riders we we have our development team here so to say.